Hollywood Revisited is a stunning musical and dance review, which showcases a dazzling lineup of costumes actually worn by the stars in the original Hollywood films. Set to the lush and classic music of old Hollywood, sung and danced by top performers from Hollywood and Broadway, Hollywood Revisited is a unique and entertaining musical spectacle where you get to see, experience, and learn about the one-of-a-kind costume creations of Hollywood's golden age. Greg Schreiner, the creator and host of Hollywood Revisited, is not only a classically trained piano virtuoso, but is also one of the foremost collectors of Hollywood's wardrobe treasures. Greg's legendary collection of over 350 unique designs has appeared in museums all around the world. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I feel groggy and weary and tragic, punchy and bleary and fresh out of magic, but oh my. You know, I just flew in to be here, and boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> For the many clients who book the show repeatedly, they are amazed that they are never given the same show twice. Because of the abundance of Greg's collection, Hollywood Revisited can be altered to fit your performance space and budgetary needs. to provide entertainment for your next corporate event, cruise voyage, or local performing arts center. Hollywood Revisited, the show that lets you reach out and touch the fabric that dressed the stars. Everyone, that is from the collection of Greg Schreiner, who we are going to be meeting on this show any moment now. But before we begin, I just want to thank you all for being here. And I want to ask who or what are you celebrating today? Today, we're going to celebrate uh, Hollywood, Marilyn Monroe, Greg. And I also want to give a special shout out to a very dear friend of mine, and that is Therese Lee. And Therese Lee is going to be performing in New York uh, on October 21st at 7 p.m. And I am definitely going to be there. I asked her to book this show again. Uh, she won the Bistro Award for this, as you can see. And she's also going to be performing at the Mabel Mercer Cabaret Convention. But I 
talk about her for a moment uh, because she has an incredible show all about being on the red carpet. But she also is responsible for today's show. Uh, just a few weeks ago, she was having dinner with Greg and she said, Richard, you need to have him on your show. I reached out and thank God he said yes. So Greg, I want to thank you first of all for being here. And I want to ask who or what are you celebrating today? Well, I'm celebrating just getting over three major performances over the weekend and just sort of recovering from all of that. <laughs> now, was this, I mean, the show that we just saw, was this what you were doing? Uh, that was one of them. I did that show as well as I uh, am a church organist. We did the, uh, the Rudder Requiem, and then I did a piano recital at Cerritos College. So it was three major things within a weekend. And when do you get rest? Now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, I, I have this, this is just one of my many baubles. This is an award that was given to Carol Channing by Hollywood, uh, by uh, a Beach, like the Babylon. I wanted to say Habilon, uh, Hollywood Babylon. Uh, and I collected uh, Carol Channing memorabilia for years and years and years uh, when I was performing as Carol Channing. And luckily for me, we became very good friends. Um, and I know where it all began for me. Uh, but before we get to how your collection began, I always like to ask uh, my guest for a photograph of them around five years of age. Uh, I asked for this, and you haven't changed a bit, by the way. Oh, sure. Uh, <laughs> no, I asked for this because to me, the five-year-old self uh, is the purest self. It's before life begins to tell you who you should be, who you should not be. Uh, and especially in today's world where we have a lot of people telling kids who and what they should be. I want you to tell us a little bit about who this little boy is. Well, I grew up in a very small town of 500 people in Northern Illinois. And I, even from an early age, loved old Hollywood. Uh, my parents would let me stay up at night if I was good and watched The Late Show on television, which back then were old movies from 30s, 40s, and 50s. And I just said, someday I'm gonna make it to Hollywood and see all that glamor for myself. Well, finally, in 1979, I moved to Los Angeles to go to school at UCLA. And I was suddenly within all of Hollywood, and ironically, Marilyn Monroe was buried uh, in Westwood. She's buried in Westwood, right just south a few blocks of the, of the school, UCLA. So it was all meant to be somehow. Uh, life brought me here and I've never wanted to leave since. There are so many parallels between your story and my story that I'm gonna dissect them one really? by one. Really? But before I do, uh, one of our viewers, Alan Choi is asking if that was Joshua Finkel in the Hollywood uh, Revisited cast. Yes, yes, I, I'm very lucky that he's a major, major star. He appeared on Broadway and Kiss of the Spider Woman and Les Miserables, and now he's in my show, and how lucky I am. He's a director as well as a performer. That's great. Um, you mentioned, I mean, I too grew up uh, in a very small town. Uh, I grew up in uh, Conway, South Carolina. Uh, I don't know how old you are. I think I'm a little older than you are. But in 1974, That's Entertainment came out. Uh, it was around that time, the year before, I think, uh, that the Debbie Reynolds, I mean, MGM was having their auction right. and Debbie Reynolds went on her quest to get so many costumes. Uh, I had the good fortune of interviewing her the night before her last auction. And I've said this before, but it was truly one of the saddest 
interviews that I've ever given because she was so down on this. It was her life. It was her passion. It was everything she was about. The other thing that I want to mention that I want to get into your story is you moved to LA in 1979 and I moved to New York in 1979. So there are, uh, you know, was it your love of the movies and everything that took you to LA? Well, I, I knew that I wanted to be there. I, I had several choices of where to go. And as it turned out, uh, my husband needed to go to school at UCLA. And I thought, this is the perfect opportunity. He had several choices of where to go to school. I said, you must go to Los Angeles. That's where I belong. And and so he he let me go there. And here, here I am today. All those now, when you were growing up in Illinois, did you have any brushes with stars anywhere near where you grew up? Not at all. There, there was no opportunity. <laughs> I was in a rural community. Uh, no stars ever came my way. It's only been since I came to Los Angeles that I've really, ironically, became friends with now some major movie stars, which is a, such a thrill for me because I grew up watching these people and now I know them. It, it's so amazing to me. Greg, I'm going to stop. You're telling my story. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, it's funny, these parallel lives. I mean, when I was in high school, Joan Bennett came to my hometown and I went to my teachers and thank God I was an a straight A student in school, but my teachers let me out of class so that I could go and meet Joan Bennett. And I had this huge poster uh, from Disraeli. And when I walked up to her to ask her to sign it, this 70 year old kid, I thought she was gonna just fall over. She couldn't <laughs> believe it. But getting to Hollywood, uh, when did uh, it, all began to unfold for you. I mean, you talk about uh, being near where Marilyn Monroe uh, is in turn, but you also have, you know, this amazing collection of her memorabilia. Right. Well, Marilyn got it all started for me. Um, basically, every year on August the 5th, I would go to the cemetery to honor her because that's the day she died. And on August 5th of 1982, I ran into three other people that were also there and we got to talking and we said, why don't we form a fan club where we can do this memorial service for her every year? And since 1982, we have given her a memorial service at the cemetery where she's buried. And the club itself has grown from a very small thing, which it had to be back then. We had no internet even. I uh, made phone calls to now where we have almost 10,000 members all over the world. And the service is huge now. We we turn people away. It's just so so big. People from all over the world come to honor Marilyn, and that is where I get started collecting, because I my first collection was on Marilyn. My very first thing ever was a Marilyn Monroe gown, and I was so thrilled to have it. And I started collecting Marilyn, but unfortunately, uh, within a few years, she became too expensive to really collect, for the most part. Mm -hmm. So consequently. Um, by that time, I had collected quite a bit of stuff already on her. So I thought, well, let's try some other stars. And that's where the rest of my 500 costumes now lie with all the other great stars of Hollywood as well. Now, by the way, August 5th is the day that I arrived in New York. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is scary. This is yes, really scary. <laughs> so August 5th, 1979. Um, why Marilyn Monroe? And uh, you know, did you grow up watching her movies? Um, what was the gravitational pull 
uh, between you and Marilyn. And interestingly enough, with me, it was Carol Channing who introduced the role of Lorelai Lee. And of course, Marilyn went on to do this movie, which was a movie. Yeah, for, for yes. her in the movie version. Well, I think it goes back to my parents, actually. Um, we had a drive-in movie theater about 10 miles from where I lived, uh, closest place to go. And believe it or not, in Monroe, Wisconsin. Can you believe this? And so we, my parents took me to see Some Like It Hot. And I just, I was like blown away, mesmerized by this incredible woman. Nobody looked like that where I was growing up. Mm -hmm. uh, and, I, <laughs> uh, and I've never got over it. And the more I delved into her life, uh, the more I just fell in love with her. In college, on my walls was Marilyn Monroe. Everybody thought I was crazy. Um, she was a dead woman, but I didn't care. And then, of course, when I finally moved to Los Angeles, it really, really took off. And I have been so lucky over the years because I've met so many people that knew her. Um, we had we, we had meetings every month uh, for the club, and we would invite people that knew her. So I got to meet her former husband. I got to meet people that work with her, uh, stars that work with her, uh, other technicians. It's just been an amazing journey. And so much has come to me because of Marilyn. I, I can't tell you. What was the first item that you collected uh, of Marilyn's memorabilia? Uh, you mean as a kid or out here? No, the first item that you got uh, that started your collection. Uh, it was a book uh, called The Films of Marilyn Monroe. Uh, as a child, That's a, there wasn't a lot out there, frankly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, she died when I was pretty darn young. And things sort of didn't come out for a while after that, but she was a little bit forgotten. And then a book came out called The Films of Marilyn Monroe, and I started studying it, and I, I vowed I was going to see every one of her films in the book. Uh, and I eventually have, of course. Uh, and uh, then other things, a little bit. I think the Norman Mailer book was the next big thing yeah. that came out. Uh, and then, of course, when I moved out here, then I started really collecting things that actually were owned by her. And I probably have now in my home the, maybe the largest collection of Marilyn Monroe memorabilia in the world because I own so many things that were hers, from, from her dresses to her furniture to checks to you name it. I've got things that were hers. And it, it's like her spirit is here. <laughs> and I love it. I love being surrounded because I never got to meet her. But I feel like through the people I've known and these memorabilia, she is a part of my life every day. And uh, that's, a, that's a good thing for me. That's amazing. I'll tell you a very interesting story. I was in New York. This is probably uh, around uh, 81, 82, uh, around that time. And I was standing on the corner of 14th Street, 6th Avenue, and a cab pulls up. And this woman in the cab rolls the window down and she's a young man. <laughs> Can you help me to my, uh, to my hotel? Uh -huh. And I said, absolutely. And it was Jane Russell. Ah, and when she got out of the car, I'm pulling up this picture of you and Jane together. But when she got out of the car, and I there I was meeting Jane Russell, uh, it was just probably one of those pivotal moments that I go in those days we didn't have cell phones, you, you I, so I didn't get a photograph with her or anything, but it was just so exciting to meet her. And even, I mean, you've got all these uh incredible items, uh, but. I feel that the fact that you've met these people uh, that knew her personally and that you've become friends with over the years, yeah. um, you know, it, it, how it's just unfolded in a way. Could you have imagined that you would have the collection that you have now? 
no, I mean, none of my wildest dreams. Uh, would I ever think that I even have one thing of Maryland's and that, or I would have met all the wonderful people that I have in the movie industry. Uh, it just, it staggers my mind, you know, five, 500 people in a little town. Suddenly I'm here in this major millions of people and I'm meeting all these incredible, uh, it's like Maryland magic is making it happen somehow, I think. <laughs> now moving beyond the book, uh, the first item that you collected that actually uh, belonged to Marilyn or was part of her uh, history, what was that item? It was a, a, a gown that she wore to the premiere of Bunky Business. Uh, and, and she's also photographed in it many times. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful red uh, gown. And uh, I was so thrilled to have it. And it's my start. And then I kept going back to more auctions and getting more things. And back then, and we're talking probably around 1980 at this point, um, things were still affordable. Uh, people didn't seem to think it was that important, to, all these things. They were not like really valuable nowadays as you know her dresses go for up to 5.6 million if you want to look at the president kennedy dress mm -hmm. and even the other dresses go for uh, many hundreds of thousands of dollars so thank god i got them when i did <laughs> well when you started to collect it that's that leads me to my next question were yeah. a lot of people collecting uh items related to her at that time no, they weren't actually. She was kind of forgotten. Um, that's why it was so great for me to be able to. There was no fan club for Marilyn until I founded my fan club. Uh, since her death, nobody done anything, basically. So starting in 82, when we did our first memorial service, that was the first time there had ever been a memorial service for Marilyn ever. And we have continued every year since 1982 to do a service. So we've been doing it a long time now. And um, I'm just so grateful uh, and and we get people we used to get people we don't have many left anymore that actually knew her to speak at the service there's still a handful and we'll be having the handful this year at the memorial service but um it's as you can imagine now that most people are in their 90s mm -hmm. so uh, <laughs> it's not easy to find people anymore but um we i've been so lucky so as you started to collect what was the holy grail item for you that you said, oh, my God, I have to have this item that you eventually got? That I eventually got. Well, um, Chris, the holy grail item for me has always been the President Kennedy dress. But I know that will not be in my collection because it's five point six million last time it, it sold. And um, but I would say just owning anything of hers that she wore. Yeah, there's there's the dress um, because it's just so intimate for me to have something that was actually on her body and that mm -hmm. that is sort of infused with her directly um also i have a lot of furniture that she purchased for her last home uh and i find that's very important to me because these are things she went to mexico and actually purchased uh and it was where she died in her last home so it's like i have her bedroom dresser that was next to her bed the night she died i mean that's pretty amazing <laughs> when you think about it, uh, that was right there uh, in her last moments. So it's um, it's an amazing adventure. And I mean, with everything, I mean, has there ever been a moment or anything that's, uh, you know, I try to keep everything positive that mm -hmm. where you got duped or someone, there was a promise or something made to you that did not go through? Um, yes, there was. Actually, there was once someone sold me a gown they claim was Marilyn's. Uh, and I was, it was way at the beginning of my 
my collecting career and I was fairly naive at the time. And I had questions about it and I took it to 20th Century Fox and they verified it was not authentic and I got my money back. But um, for you. One, one has to be careful because particularly with someone like Marilyn where everything's so valuable, there's so much fake stuff out there, I can't tell you. Go on eBay, you'll see fake stuff every day being sold. And it, it's, it's, you have to be very smart to know. Uh, be careful. If you buy something, make sure it's really real. Uh, make sure it comes, there's a photo of Marilyn wearing it. Make sure it's not a, a knockoff, but the real deal. It, it's scary. And buy from reputable auction houses. Well, um, as you begin to collect things, uh, you begin to get a name for yourself as a collector and as someone uh, who people will go to uh, for information on Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. um, what do you feel are, I mean, she is still so revered and celebrated uh, to this day, thank God. Uh, every time one of her films is on, uh, I am uh, sucked right into it all over again. How to Marry a Millionaire, I was on the other night, one of my favorite films of hers. It's good. Um, do you have a favorite film? And this is a two-part question. A yeah. favorite film, and what do you feel is the biggest misconception that people have nowadays about who she was as a human being? I like to celebrate artists and their bodies of worth. What do you think is the biggest misconception that people have about her? Okay, well, let's start with the, the movie thing first. Um, it's, it's really hard for me to, to pin down a movie because I find all of her movies fabulous. Uh, there's something so fresh about her that, that her movies never look dated to me. And I think that's true of a lot of people. They can watch them and they're as funny and delicious as they were when they came out. Um, where a lot of movies from the 50s have dated. They, they look their age, but Marilyn's don't. Um, I would, if I had to pick one movie that I think really, of course, we all love Some Like It Hot, we all love Seven Year Itch, we love Gentlemen for Blondes, all of those great ones, but she is so deliciously real in The Prince and the Showgirl, and I, that one I really, really love, uh, and it could be, too, that because I own her dress from that film that I really relate to it, too, but... Um, I, I just think she's so wonderful, and she she almost puts Laurence Olivier and everyone in, in, in the background because she's just so overpowering on the screen. Um, I, I think as far as misconceptions go, of course, there's the, the typical, she was a dumb, blonde, sexy image kind of thing, mm -hmm. which is so not her. She was one of the most intelligent people. She was witty, clever. She was not educated in the sense of going to college or anything, but she studied and her mind was always thinking she was so clever. And you have to recognize that she not only was smart, she had a very generous heart. And if you look at what she did in life, she did things like tons of charities she supported, the Arthritis Foundation, Muscular Dystrophy. She also was all for racial equality. If she was out somewhere touring, she made a point of going to orphanages and embracing the black children to show everybody has to be equal. She. She, had, she was so far ahead of her time. And the fact that she as a woman formed her own production company, this was unheard of in the 50s for any woman to do that kind of thing and, and to, to produce her own films. Um, and she, she was, was also out there, you know, speaking about racial equality. Yeah. She, she, 
yeah, she never had the prejudices that a lot of people of the 50s had. And she wasn't afraid to speak her mind about that kind of thing. Um, even when she, when she did the nude calendar, that was before she was a star. Mm -hmm. And when it came out that she had done it, she didn't lie. She just said, yeah, I needed the money and I did it. And people loved her for that. She was never going to shy away from telling the truth. Um, and that was at a time, obviously, when a person's career could have been destroyed by something like that. Absolutely. The studios were, were totally frightened because she was going to be coming out with a film, uh, Jump for Blondes, and then, oh my gosh, here, here we go down the drain. No, people embraced her because of her honesty. They, they appreciated that she was that way. And they, they saw her as this poor little thing that needed the money. And, and it's true. She did. She wasn't lying. She was poverty stricken at the time um, as a starlet. So uh, God bless her for being of that open heart. And I guess maybe somewhere along the way, she developed that, that generous heart that she had. And I, I know people that worked with her said, you had to be careful, not admire something on her because the next day it would rise at your door in a package. She would just give it to them. That's amazing. Um, she, she never was into materialism. Uh, even when she finally bought a home in 62, it was not a big mansion. It was a fairly small home. She didn't care about that kind of stuff. It was more about living life beautifully. So again, and I'm all about positivity. So this next question is only about the positive portrayals. Uh, okay. But out of all the movies and television movies and everything, who do you think captured her the best in terms of their portrayals of her? Uh, <laughs> nobody. Um, <laughs> Good answer. Uh, good answer. Well, it's. I think she's a hard cookie to do. Um, uh, she really is. Uh, there's some wonderful people that impersonate her. Uh, the Susie Kennedy, who's in London, does a wonderful job. Uh, Susan Griffiths here in the United States, has also done a great job of impersonating her. But because maybe because I'm prejudiced about Marilyn, I, I find that really nobody can really be Marilyn Monroe except Marilyn Monroe. So uh, I, I, feel, I feel like they all fall, fall short of the real Marilyn. Uh, they'll capture a part of her, but nobody, that's why she was unique because she had something special that nobody else really can duplicate. Now, as your collection started to grow, you started to branch out beyond Marilyn. Right. Start collecting, as we just saw in the opening here, uh, these phenomenal pieces uh, from other films. Um, yeah. How did that all begin to happen? Uh, I'm sure, I'm guessing it was an offshoot of the Maryland collection, but how did that all begin to happen? Well, as I mentioned, because I was realizing, number one, I couldn't afford to get much more Maryland. And number two, I had fallen in love with just the idea of costumes. There's something so special about having costumes from movies and the, the construction and the fabrics and, and the whole design of them. And, and how they relate to other stars. And I, of course, love other stars as well. So I just started collecting. And one day I woke up and I had 500 in my collection. I go, oh my gosh. So that's when I decided to put them together using my musical talent as a pianist and, and invite some fabulous Broadway people to come and be part of the show and actually wear the costumes and recreate moments from the films. And we project behind them while they're doing this, the actual scene from the film. So you see the costume in the film and you also see it in front of you at the same time. And it, it's been a wonderful experience. People love, I just did it a couple days ago. Um, 
And people just are in awe because I think we miss old Hollywood and that glamour and that glitz and, and the old stars, at least the crowds that I play for. Maybe young people don't so much, but I think the older people really kind of miss that era because it doesn't exist anymore. The studio system is gone. We don't have the studios producing costumes like they did before. And, and the stars are different today than they were back. They were groomed by the studio back then and under contract. So you really were almost, they were almost like stars from heaven rather than uh, regular people. Nowadays, they're all kind of regular people. We see them running around in anything and, and, and nobody's worried about what they do anymore. Back then, they covered up all the bad stuff. Well, I mean, they didn't go out without being the stars that they, they went out as a star always. And so they created a different image than, than people do today. So, um, but, well, but I want to go to you know, the aspect of uh, your performing career and uh, bringing these two elements together, which I think is brilliant. Um, how what was the brainchild behind all of that? It's one thing to be a collector. Mm -hmm. I'm also an entertainer. I got to bring these together in such a theatrical experience, I think is a brilliant idea. How did that come about for you? Well, it grew gradually. I, I just felt that I needed to do something with the costumes. And because I am musical, I thought, well, it seems logical to just have somebody sing in the costume and create this whole image of the glamour. Uh, it, at first, it was just people walking out on a stage singing a song, a Hollywood song, wearing a costume. But then it started to develop into this whole production thing with the images behind them. And now I tell stories about the costumes. Uh, we, we create a whole... Uh, thing with comedy, with dancing, it's it's turned into this really big production now. And we've been performing at some of the large performance spaces around the country, as well as the world. We, we did Crystal Cruises for several years, which was sort of really a fabulous time for me getting to see the world. Have you um, done the TCM cruise with this? No, I, I approached them and they said our people wouldn't be interested in that. Uh, which I found very odd because it seems like it's a logical choice. And of course, it's a logical choice, and I wonder who the person is that made that decision. Well, because who knows? I, you know, who knows? But it's a, I think yeah. it would be a brilliant decision for you. I agree, and maybe maybe I should try again. But they, uh, whatever. It, um, I know that it's successful, and every time we do it, we get nothing but raves, and we get invited back many times. Uh, we're going to be doing a tour of the Midwest uh, next summer. Um, I love doing it because it's like Halloween every day. You get to dress up and create music and make people happy. And isn't that a wonderful thing? Oh, it's an incredible do? thing. And, but I mean, obviously when it comes to the casting, you're looking for talented people, but they also have to fit the costumes. Right. So, Everybody has to be thin. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how do you go about the casting for this? Do people well, coach you now or do you well, uh, hold casting calls? I, we've held casting calls. A lot of it's just I keep my eye peeled because I play for a lot of singers. I'm a pianist by profession. So uh, I'm working with a lot of people. And, and because I, I'm a pianist for Karen Morrow's workshop. Uh, well, I love, love, love Karen if you're watching. We all love Karen. Oh. We all love Karen. So I do run into people through the workshop as well and, and their connections. And so I've gotten now a lovely uh group of people, some very, very talented, including Karen herself, who's done many of the shows. 
Uh, and she's sensational. Uh, she really uh, makes the costumes come alive. And of course, her talent and her voice are bonuses too. They're like the icing on the cake. Uh, you get it all. But um, it's it's been a grand adventure, and and I, I think back again from my upbringing in the little town. Suddenly, I'm seeing the world, and and I'm not even paying for it. They're they're paying me to go around and see the world. I mean, what a what a fabulous experience! Not and and my costumes now are traveling all over the world as well. I have right now part of an exhibit at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London, for instance. I have a Lena Horne costume from Stormy Weather at the Academy Museum, Motion Picture Academy Museum in, in Hollywood. So it's just like all these doors are opening. Um, it's it's wonderful. As they should. Um, yeah. I, I had a question in my head, and it just completely went oh. out of my head, and it's going to come back. I know it's going to come back in just a moment. Um, but, uh, oh, I know what it was. Um, I, I, watching the video montage at the beginning, yeah. And uh, and I love the famous Edith Head uh, All About Eve dress. Right. And, but the singer singing a song from Applause, which I thought was a brilliant idea. Try to uh, imagine again. Yes. How did that come about? Uh, what? The, co the combination thing? or the combination of, uh, of well, going to Applause, uh, the song that you would tie this in with. That's the tricky part. I mean, obviously, not every costume is from a musical, so you can't connect them necessarily. But sometimes you get lucky, like they're made into a musical, like All About Eve got made into a musical. Applause. So I got lucky there, and that's, of course, the big song in the in the show for her to sing is, the, is that particular number. Um, and then sometimes we just have to get clever, like I have a Tarzan costume. Well, what do you do with the Tarzan costume? Well, we, we took the lyrics to On the Street Where You Live and changed them to On the Tree Where You Live. <laughs> I love it. It works. It works. Uh, it, it's amazing uh, what you can do sometimes if, if you think about it hard enough. Uh, uh, I wish you could see the show because we have some really clever. Oh my God. I, I want you to bring it to New York. I'm just, not, or I'll find a space there. for me. I'll be there in a, in a heartbeat. Gonna, we've got to make it happen. Uh, yeah. It has to, uh, you know, there's now, they just finally, and I've been saying for years and years and years, there should be a Broadway museum. And they finally opened a Broadway museum. And it's more expensive to go to the museum than it is for most people to go and see a Broadway yeah. show, which I uh, think is a huge shame for anyone out there who's watching uh, because it should be accessible because we really truly need to celebrate our past. Totally. Uh, and, uh, and I'm so uh, behind you on all the work that you've done with this. I want to go back, as I said, you know, when we began the Marilyn Monroe portion of uh, how your collection began with that, what was the first movie item costume that you uh, bought uh, that was not Marilyn-centric? Oh, boy. You're, you're taking me back a long way. It would be in the 1980s. Um, I don't remember, to be honest with you. Um, it may have been Susan Hayward from The Conqueror. Wow. Um, which is sort of a forgotten movie um, that she made with John Wayne. Um, now you'll correct me if, if this is wrong information, but I mean, again, uh, this incredible uh, film montage at the beginning, the Ginger Rogers Lady in the Dark costume. Mm -hmm. I had heard it that that was probably one of the most expensive costume pieces ever created for film. 
It was. It was. And uh, did what you paid for it match what it originally cost to make? Well, let me tell you a little story. The Yes, Edith had made this for Ginger at a cost of around $25,000, which was a lot of money back then. Uh, and it's made out of ranch mink lined with beading. And when Ginger put it on, it was so heavy she couldn't move in it. So Edith had to remake the dress, this time lining it with, with sequins rather than beads. Um, and that's the version I have. Um, someone else owns the, the beaded version. Uh, but it wasn't real, it wasn't practical. She mm -hmm. couldn't do anything in it. Um, so it's they spent a lot of money on that particular dress for sure. Well, I wanted to ask you with all the costume, I mean, the upkeep of keeping the costumes, uh, especially uh, when uh, you now have uh, entertainers wearing these costumes, right. uh, the wear and tear on these costumes, uh, there must be an added expense for you in terms of keeping everything up to speed. Well, that was a worry of mine when I first started the show because I thought, oh boy, they're going to start disintegrating because of their age. And there are certainly many costumes in my collection that do not make it into the show at all because they're just too fragile and I will not take a chance on them. But the good news is about movie costumes is they're very well made. Uh, mm -hmm. their, their fabrics are the top of the line fabrics. They're constructed very solidly and they're only worn for that brief moment you see them on the stage and then they're removed immediately. Um, so they have held up well. I, I've had some costumes I've been doing for 20 years now in the show, and they look identical for the most part to what mm -hmm. they did. I can do a little touch-up work. If I see that the costume is starting to disintegrate, then it's removed from the show and not used anymore. But this is just my theory, but I'm thinking they're living longer because they're so happy to be out being seen uh -huh. again. <laughs> getting applause that's what my theory is <laughs> well i would believe that uh is there a particular favorite of yours in terms of the costume pieces oh that's like asking a mother who her favorite child <laughs> i don't know um probably we one of the marilyn monroe's because she's my number one star but mm -hmm. i love them all and and that's part of the fun for me is seeing them come alive every time i do the show because under the lights being worn and moving, that's when a costume really comes alive. They're beautiful on a mannequin, but they weren't meant to be on a mannequin. They were meant to be moving. And that's when they really come alive because the designers made them for that reason, to be worn and actually moving. So they get a chance to do that on stage. And um, I don't know, they're living well. I think if they were sitting in a box, they'd just be rotting away. But now they're being enjoyed and loved by people and... Um, I, I, as I said, the only are being used if, if I feel they can withstand it. Otherwise, uh, I love you for that. I I had Carol Channing's Cecilia Sissoncoat, uh, the one that was designed by Bob Mackey for television specials. And I recently sold it uh, because it was disintegrating. And the person who bought it uh, knew what needed to be done to restore it. And I felt there was nothing I could do with it because I didn't have, you know, the the skill set to do that and i'm thrilled that it's going to have a new life and it's going to have a new home and uh, that more and more people will be able to enjoy it uh with is there a holy grail item when it comes to costumes uh that are out there that are accessible as you mentioned mm -hmm. the um beaded gown that we saw a photo of uh is uh most likely not going to uh end up in your collection but i do believe 
anything's possible. Um, and then there's also uh, items like the Ruby Slippers and the Wizard of Oz, things like that. But is there a Holy Grail item that is accessible that you would love to have as part of your collection? Wow. Um, there are certain costumes that, yes, I would. There's a Julie Andrews costume from the movie Star. It's a fabulous Art Deco costume. It's one that I've dreamed of owning. And uh, it came up for auction at, at a time when I didn't have the kind of money that it went for. Uh, but if it came up again today, I would do my darndest to get it because I really would love to have that one. It's, it's stunningly beautiful. It looks like it's designed by Erte. It's just so fabulous. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot of costumes that are, are incredibly famous. Um, when you think about the, like the Joan Crawford costume from the women, uh, the beaded gown. It, it's, it's, it's totally fabulous. Um, there's so many uh, movies that have iconic costumes, um, but uh, some of them don't exist anymore. Um, not everything survived. Uh, right. Debbie saved what she could. A few of us also are trying to save what we can, but a lot of the stuff the studios just simply didn't take care of and it was, it's gone forever. You know, it's amazing. Tommy Toon is a friend of mine. And uh, a few years ago when Hurricane Sandy came through, he had bought a storage unit uh, that was on 23rd Street uh, below street level. And he lost everything that he had in that collection. Photos, everything. Uh, the devastation of going through something like that is just unbelievable. Uh, and as you said, you know, when I spoke with Debbie Reynolds, when she first started collecting, when she first heard about the MGM auction, she reached out to every person she knew saying, help me collect these things. And she had many uh, storage units uh, to keep everything in. And she fought desperately uh, to get everything housed in one place for the general public to be able to see. And unfortunately, it didn't happen. Everything was auctioned off. Everything was sent in so many different directions. You have this great collection. Um, how, I mean, you have a great website, which I have brought up and I will uh, continue to uh, promote. Uh, but how do people get uh, to see, you know, beyond the uh, your show that you do, uh, some of these items? Well, as I mentioned, I have some things right now in London. If you're in that area, you can go there. The Betty Davis, for instance, is there uh, that, that you mentioned earlier. And also Elizabeth Taylor, a Cleopatra costume is there as well. Um, I'm also having, I have an exhibit right now running in Melbourne, uh, where I have a fabulous Mae West costume on display. Uh, I think you saw it in the promo. Mm -hmm. um, and the, I also have the Academy Museum is, is using my Lena Horne right now. I also have about 20 costumes at the Hollywood Museum, which is in the old Max Factor building in Hollywood uh, on display. So there are ways you can still see, you can also just go to the website, which has quite a few costumes to look at there as well uh, so th there are a lot of opportunities to to see things or just come by and visit me <laughs> no it's it, 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 opening a can of worms but uh people do come by they'll call me up and say i would love to see your collection particularly i think for most people it's the maryland collection they want to see um and uh i'm you, if i'm available i'm more than happy to share it well, it's it's thrilling that you know that you want to share this. I love this is an item that I love. I mean, this her chair there. Um, you know what? Um, what was the last thing that you've collected? When it comes, I mean, Marilyn Monroe wise. Marilyn Monroe wise. Um, I 
got her her costume from Ticket to Tomahawk last year, uh, which is not one of her better known films, but she's delightful in it. And this is a, a really fun costume. It's actually almost two costumes because she does a big song and dance number. And then halfway through, she takes off the lower skirt and she's got this sort of showgirl top on. And uh, it's so it, it's really fun. And when I got the costume, it looked wrong because it didn't separate. But then I discovered someone had done something to the whole inside and then sewn it up. I released all the threads and lo and behold, they were hooking eyes all the way around to, to let go of the bottom part of the, of the dress. So it was like, wow, magic time. We, we put it back the way it was supposed to be originally. So it's kind of fun when those things happen. Yeah, I was interviewing uh, Leslie and Warren. Uh, I've had the good fortune of interviewing her a few times. And we were talking, uh, I interviewed her when uh, they restored Cinderella here in New York on stage. And uh, she was talking about the, the gown that was designed for Cinderella. And it was so heavy because when she was dancing on the floor, they wanted it to swirl a certain way. So there were literally weights in the bottom of the uh, dress. And of course, uh, on her shoulders, it, 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 she had major back problems as a result of this costume. What is the heaviest costume piece that you have? Wow. Um, I have several really heavy ones. Um, I have a Christine Ebersole costume that is solid beading, totally. It probably weighs about 40 pounds. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, and I have several of the Nolan Miller beaded gowns for Dynasty mm -hmm. as well. They are incredibly heavy. Um, I have a Maggie Smith from Travels with My Aunt that's solid beaded. Anything that's solidly beaded, I mean, not just beads on it, but literally covered in beads, is going to weigh a lot. And I imagine it does uh, get to you after a while wearing something like that because it's a lot of weight to carry around as a woman. But I'll tell you, it really flows beautifully when you're wearing that kind of a gown. Absolutely. Uh, have you studied costume design as well uh, beyond your love of collecting these uh, iconic items uh, in terms of uh, how these costumes were made as well? Um, I, I have studied just something. So I, I purchased several books and I've also became friends with several people in the Costume Designers Guild, uh, fairly famous designers who I've worked with and... Um, learned from and so i've learned a lot about how costumes are put together um how the fabrics work um a lot more than i ever knew beforehand i'm not an expert mm -hmm. but i really feel like i know quite a bit about costume design now and are there specific designers from the golden era of hollywood the true era of hollywood uh that you absolutely are your favorites well i probably have more edith heads than anybody else but I would say if I had to pick a, a designer that I really, really loved, her name was Irene. And she mm -hmm. was a designer at MGM for many years. And I just, I love her work. It's so clean and beautiful and elegant. Um, but there's so many, I mean, from Adrian to Walter Plunkett to Helen Rose, uh, the, the list goes on and on of, of fabulous designers from that era. There were so many back then. Uh, and they, they were able to, have free reign to create whatever they wanted and, they, and unlimited budgets back then uh, with this whole department working for you. They created amazing things. I'm going to pull up a question here from Alan, who's watching the show and perhaps yeah. you can answer this. Is it true that Marilyn bought a last minute costume necklace at Crest five and diamond route to the Oscars, which was later translated by Harry Winston into the real deal. You know anything about this? I've never heard that story. Um, 
she only went to the Oscars once, believe it or not. Uh, and that was that she was a starlet and she didn't wear a necklace. So I don't know how that would be a true story. Um, and which brings up the, the sad point that the Academy never recognized her during her lifetime, except one time when she was a presenter, but she was never nominated ever for an Academy Award, which I, some of her films are so brilliant. Um, Bus Stop, The Misfits, uh, hard to believe, but, um, yeah, she wasn't even asked to be a presenter when she got wow, to be. That's a shame. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, something early on that, uh, triggered something within me. I remember sitting in the Holiday Theater in my hometown of Conway, South Carolina, uh -huh. watching Bats Entertainment. And as time went on, several of those stars in that film became real solid friends of mine. Yeah. Um, and you also have been very, very fortunate. I have. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, with the costume collection that you've had, an item that you, uh, that you got that the star itself was able to come and see in your collection. I've been very lucky that way. Um, I've had four major stars in my show, uh, including Jane Russell. And uh, also um, I uh, had uh, Richard Chamberlain and George Jacaris as they've been on the show and they've all become friends ever since. George is one of the nicest guys on the planet. Isn't he? Isn't he? I just adore him. And so is Richard. He is just the best. He, he, actually, he, Richard and George and I had dinner at my home last week. Uh, the, we had such a good time together. It's and, and of course, I'm sitting there again going, this little boy from a small town in the Midwest and here I am having... No. Okay. Star moment. Uh, my husband and I, when we got married, I had interviewed George Akiris when I used to write a blog. And uh, so uh, George said, if you ever come out to Hollywood, we've got to get together. And I was lucky enough to be part of the documentary, Cal Chang, Larger Than Life. I went out. I met George there. That was the first time we met physically. I can't wait to tell him. And, uh, oh, yeah. and he said, oh, you'll have to come out and, uh, you know, again, and we'll get together. So I wrote to him and I said, we were coming out actually on our honeymoon. And uh, one morning I get a phone call from him and he says, are you doing anything today? He says, I'd like to spend the day with you. <laughs> and I mean, the fact that George Shakiris was sitting there with us and both of us were pinching ourselves. I and know. He's Next time you're out, Richard, please, you have a dinner. Oh my God, I'd love to. I invite Richard and George to join us. How's oh, that? I'd love that. Richard, I haven't met, but I'm a huge huge fan of his. So moving forward, what's next for you? I mean, you're very busy with doing these shows and uh, and I'm going to keep everyone up to date if there are links or things. And anytime you're doing anything, Greg, please send me the information and I will let people know about that as well. Thank you. Thank you. Well, as I mentioned, I do have a tour coming up in the Midwest where we're doing Chicago and Milwaukee uh, at this point. Um, I'll be honest with you, COVID really put a dent in my performing career for the last three years. Uh, everything. Just, too. Yeah. So I'm kind of trying to get back on track again. So uh, put the word out there. If anybody knows of a, of a space that would enjoy this, this particular show, uh, I'm open. So just let me know and I will get my agent to contact whoever's, you know, what theater or whatever organization might like it. It's a great fundraiser. It's just great for an old theater. Uh, it, it works beautifully. Um, we've performed everywhere in the, in the country and, and uh, it's, it's 
it's a fun show. You won't be sorry you, you bring it in. Well, recently, I uh, well, this past year was celebrating 100 years of Judy Garland. So, and there was a collection called Get Happy uh, that toured around. Did you get a chance to see that when it was in uh, LA? In fact, uh, I contributed uh, a dress for that, um, a Judy Garland dress from A Star Is Born. Uh, which uh, one do you have? Well, I, I don't have it anymore. That's the problem. It was the uh, the peanut vendor dress. Ah. Oh. And and I, I got it. Well, I guess it's okay to say this. Um, I sort of traded it because somebody that, that won that dress um, had a Marilyn Monroe uh, that Matt was, I was missing half of a dress. It, it, it's a negligee and a teddy, and I didn't have the teddy. They had the teddy, so we made it sort of a trade where they got Judy and I got Marilyn. So, <laughs> no, well, that's how it happens sometimes. Yeah, it, it's fine. You know, and Judy's got a lovely home now, uh, and she's with all the other Judys. So it kind of made sense. I hated to lose Judy, but um, sometimes you have to just do that to get what you want. And, and now I've put together for the first time since Marilyn's death a costume. I mean, isn't that amazing that the two parts would come together after all these years? It's just uh, Marilyn magic again that that kind of thing could happen. What is the most unusual place that you have found an item? Um, I went to a thrift store and I was looking through some things that, and this one very unusual gown had a label in it, Jean Tierney. Oh. And I go, oh my God, Jean Tierney. And, <laughs> and it turns out it was from the Egyptian. Can you believe it? And so I went up to the, the clerk and I said, I'd like to get this dress. Uh, they said, oh yeah, well, you can have her for $5. She said, but it was so dirty when I got it. She said, I threw that sucker in the washing machine and it just came out just so nice. Like, but luckily- <laughs> Did she realize what she had? Pardon? Did she realize what she had? Oh, she hadn't a clue. I mean, the fact she put it in a washing machine to clean it. Uh, it could have destroyed the, the costume. Luckily, it was made out of a, of a cotton fabric that actually held up. But normally, they would have disintegrated it. Uh, you we normally wouldn't do that. But it, it turns out to be it's one of her major costumes from the Egyptian. It's all pleated. And then, ironically, after that, I found the crown and the necklace that went with it at two different other auctions. So I put the whole costume back together again. Are a lot of people now contacting you if they have items that they are ready to sell? No, usually they go to auction houses because that's where they get the most money. Um, and they, or at least they think they will get the most money from an auction rather than, than me. There was a time when people would advertise in the paper and stuff, but now it's pretty much the auctions have taken over for movie costumes, occasionally on eBay, but mostly auction houses. Have you found anything through eBay, by the way? Yeah, um, I just found uh, a Catherine Grayson uh, from Lovely to Look At uh, about a month ago uh, online, and uh, I now own it. Wow. <laughs> so. Well, Marge was a good friend of mine. So, uh, Marge Champion? Marge Champion. Yes, yeah. I, I, I have her gown from that film as well, her closing wow. gown. If wow. you know that the end of the film where it's all flowers going down the front of it, uh, it's the last number in the movie, but... Uh, yeah, and I have another March champion too. So. You know, my fiftieth birthday, March champion. And I were dancing on the dance floor to uh, uh, "Life Upon the Wicked Stage," and I said, "This is not happening." <laughs> well, you know, how how so, lucky you, March! I was lucky, and I saw her just before she passed away, at the age of a hundred, 
And uh, her son said, Richard, you know, she may not know who you are uh, because she, you know, had the early stages of dementia. And when I walked in and she screamed, Skipper, you're here on the West Coast, my heart wow. jumped out of my chest because wow. we were very close here in New York and she had moved out to be, uh, when she couldn't really be on her own anymore. And uh, it's just so amazing how lucky you and I are. And, I, uh, I agree. And, and ironically, she, she died, I believe, at, at, at Sunset, which is a retirement community. And I'm performing there next month. Um, I'm oh. doing, I do a Liberace show. I own a Liberace costume. So I'm doing a whole show with Liberace there. If only she had lasted a little longer, I could have performed for her. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I have to put, I, you know, I have a, uh, I mean, Liberace, I, I also, I mean, which piece do you ha have of his? Um, it's, you probably know it. It's it's called the Hot Pants. Oh, um, yes, I do. Made out of, it's all red, white, and blue. Yes. Yeah. Forever red, white, and blue. Yeah. Can you believe I own that? That's, he was my, <laughs> that's why I studied piano because I wanted to be like Liberace. And now I'm doing a show of his music and wearing his costume. I mean, is that weird? That is amazing. Well, I'm wishing you, say hello to Sunset for me. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yes, that's where Marge was. And uh, uh, she was happy there, you know. And she it's, really, a it's a good, and, and I hope they like my Liberace. Uh, well, of course they're gonna love your Liberace. Well, how, who could not love you, Greg? Well, I don't know about that, but. And Therese, if you're still here, thank you, thank you, thank you for this suggestion. Uh, so reach out, folks. Uh, this is how it happens. Uh, Greg, I'm going to give you the final word at just a moment. Uh, it could be about anything that we spoke about that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message uh, that you want to leave everyone with. Um, I want to thank everybody for being here. Uh, thank you, Therese. Uh, we, uh, and again, I'm going to bring it up again because I want everybody, if you're in New York, to go and see this show. And uh, here it is, uh, riding the bus to the red carpet. Uh, Greg, I'm sure you've seen the show. I have seen the show. In fact, uh, uh, when Therese was in school, I was her pianist. That's how we know each other. I played for her for many, many years. And we did many shows together. So I, I recommend Therese highly. She's incredibly talented. And it's a delightful show. It's oh, it's really incredible. I just loved every aspect of it. And uh, her honesty and sharing that. Uh, Therese, I love you. Thank you for being uh, uh, here and watching the show today. Everyone, I want to thank you all for being here. Um, you know, follow your dreams, follow your passions. I mean, that's the true message uh, with today's interview, uh, today's show. Uh, we both uh, in 1979 followed our passions and look where it got us. Uh, so I want to thank you all for being here. Uh, I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Pick up the phone and call someone that you haven't spoken to in a long time. I want you to do the same thing, Greg. Um, I don't, not an email, not a text message, not a private inbox message. Pick up the phone and just call and say, you're on my mind today. I want you to know that you matter in my life and this is why. Uh, you will make their lives a lot better and you'll make the world a lot better. Uh, and Greg, you've made this hour uh, a lot better for me. And I've just, uh, oh, thank you again for being I had here. A blast. <laughs> uh, I, had a, I had a blast and you're welcome here anytime. Uh, and I, uh, I have a dear friend, he says, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. And I always say, I don't care what size boat you're on, as long as you have a skipper by your side. And with that, I'm going to leave. And Greg, it's all yours. And thank you again, Therese. Well, thank you, Richard. You are a delight.
you are a delight. So everybody follow your dreams, as Richard said. I'm living proof it works. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.